Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio at the start of another tumultuous week uh, in the continent of Europe, still stalked by the spectre of an ever-threatening war on our doorstep. The front page of The Times today has a headline that says war reaches NATO border. Uh, we're going to be going to the NATO border and the European border, of course, between Poland and Ukraine a little bit later on uh, in the show. This morning, Western governments are still hoping for a peaceful resolution as representatives of the Ukrainian government hold more meetings with Vladimir Putin's people, but there's still no end in sight to the shelling, the fighting, or indeed the rhetoric in the region. The lies, the propaganda, uh, the misinformation, the disinformation, it's all going on. Here at Talk Radio, we're here uh, to try and disseminate the facts, to try and work out uh, the wheat from the chafe, to try and figure out precisely what is actually going on. We're welcoming Baroness Claire Fox this morning to the show with her take on the events of the weekend. Plus, we'll be asking her what she makes of the latest instructions from all and sundry about the dreaded crime of misogyny. I mean, don't they know there's a war on, for heaven's sake? Apparently Apparently misogyny starts in primary schools, so and now they're going to start teaching kids uh, as young as seven about misogyny and why they should not hate women. People don't hate women. It's not really something that children think about, is it? This morning, uh, also Peter Hitchens is here as well, talking Russia about his time there and why he will always have a place in his heart for its people. He's also got plenty to say about the Home Affairs Committee, uh, which is putting together a new inquiry into drugs policy in the United Kingdom. Peter Hitchens has always been a very firm advocate uh, of criminality when it comes to marijuana. He's not keen on the softly, softly approach, which leads to so many people uh, becoming very, very ill and lots of other people becoming dead. 0344 499 1000. We'll also be checking in with Talk Radio's very own Rob Rinder. He's out on the border between Poland and Ukraine. Uh, he'll give us the lowdown on exactly what the refugee situation is. And uh, Rob Clark is there as well, distributing aid. He's a former soldier uh, now, of course, with Civitas. He'll be telling us what he's seeing as well. As course as well. And as ever, uh, we want to hear from you. What are you hearing? What are you seeing out there? And what can't you afford to buy this week? Because fuel prices are still going up. Cost of living is still going through the roof. You're now being told by the government and by various celebrities it's a good idea to take somebody into your own home, even though you might not know who they are, you might not know how long they're going to be there for, and you might not be able to even communicate very well with them if they don't speak very much English. And would you really want to share a house if you were a Ukrainian refugee, as I just said to Julie Hartley Brewer, having escaped uh, from the jackboot of uh, Russian rule, you've managed to get yourself into Poland, you've managed to get on a train and get yourself into Austria and Germany, you've managed to get all the way to Calais, you managed to get on the Eurostar, get to London, and who awaits you? Benedict Bleeding Cumberbatch. I mean, really? I don't think so. I don't think I'd want to wake up and have my uh, toast and Marmite with him in the morning, would you? Uh, 03444991000. All this virtue signaling starting to get to me, I'm afraid. You might think that you've got to look like the nicest person in the world and you've got to say you're going to offer some part of your home to somebody from a foreign land fleeing oppression. Well, that's what the government does. That's what we pay our taxes for. I think it's nonsense. I really do. Um, 0344 499 1000. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let us say, without further ado, a very, very good morning uh, to Baroness Fox of Buckley, Director of the Academy of Ideas, Claire Fox. Claire, very good morning to you. Good morning. You don't think I'm being a bit um, bit too much of a cummerbutch, do you? A cummerbund, whatever it is, uh, by going on about this, this virtue signalling about Ukrainian refugees is starting to get to me. 
Look, I'm as cynical as anyone about the celebrity virtue signaling stuff, but I actually think it's a, a really nice thing that so many people want to help. And I think that, you know... But do they, though? I mean, are they? Are there so many people who want to help or are they just saying it? Uh, well, I know lots of people who say, I'll open up my house, right? A lot of callers talk radio over the weekend have said exactly the same thing, that, you know, we've, we've had a period in which we were told that we were at war with a virus, right? Mm. And that what you had to do is to sit at home and do nothing. And I think now there's a real war going on. It's understandable that people say, I want to do something, you know, and people are doing all sorts of extraordinary things. Uh, you know, somebody who I know listens to the show, Rick Morris, you know, a man with a van taking it over to the border. You're talking to people who are over there doing exactly that. Uh, people want to be actively engaged in this, or many people do. Mm. And that seems to me, and, and then people say, well, like, I've got a spare room. It's okay if somebody stays. I think it's fine if people want to do that. If anything, I'm a bit irritated by how bureaucratic the process is likely to be in order to offer that kind of help. But now, civic society depends on that kind of volunteerism, doesn't it? Well, up to a point, because it doesn't, it doesn't depend on that for homeless people. I mean, there's plenty of homeless people living on the streets of this country. I don't ever see any of these people uh, stepping forward to offer them a room in their home. Um, and I think all of this is much more to do with trying to do and say the right thing than actually the reality of it. Because the reality of it is that the government in this country takes a lot of money from us, he's about to take even more money from us in taxes, and it's their job to house these people. We pay £5 million a day, Claire, to house illegal immigrants who come to this country illegally by small boat uh, and get put up and basically stay here for the rest of their lives. We're already paying for that. You know, I don't see anybody offering them a house. Right, so there's, there's two separate things. First of all, I think that you're underestimating the extraordinary nature of the war. This isn't just a minor little skirmish. This is a war at the heart of Europe. It's going to reshape the whole of our geopolitical reality moving forward. I think it is. It's not the Second World War, but it's comparable in terms of a historic moment. And I think in that sense, extraordinary things happen. So I don't think it's just another refugee crisis. I'm absolutely not saying that the government shouldn't do more to help. They're irritating the light out, life out of me that they won't do that. I don't think that the only scheme that should happen is, is that in order to come to the UK, you have to be part of this offer a room in your house. I'm simply saying that the voluntaristic civil, you know, the kind of the, the generosity of UK people who want to help should be encouraged. That's fine. So I, and I don't mind the government having a scheme for that. So I, one thing that's worrying me, Mike, is there's a little bit too much cynicism about the whole war. Mm. I, I, I get nervous. I mean, I've had... So many rows on social media this weekend. Yeah, I saw some of them you were having this weekend, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think what what's concerning me is that because we've had two years of, you know, not trusting... For a lot of people, it was the first time that they really encountered this sort of uh, gross way that the state can attack your liberties. And they've kind of become outraged. They've, the social contract, in a way, has been broken. And they feel also that the mainstream media let them down around COVID and lockdowns and so on. Yeah. But it's got to a point where, therefore, if anyone of a British politician says anything or if the mainstream media declares something, people go, don't believe a word of it. Mm. It's a lie. Yeah. And that kind of is a kind of nihilistic reaction that I'm keen to counter with a more optimistic view, yes. which is that 
lots of people want to help. So let's yes, no, listen, I, I've, been, I've been doing this for two years, maybe longer, actually, because if I think all the way back to when I first started doing overnight shows uh, on Talk Sport, I used to have all the 9-11 nutters ringing me up all the time to tell me how much they knew about demolishing buildings and how looking at the way the World Trade Center yeah. fell, it was obvious that it was detonated from the inside. You know, so, yeah, this has been going on for a long time. But I've always been saying to people, look, just because something is wrong, just because a politician has done something bad or lied to you or misled you does not mean that all things that are then said from that moment on by anyone in the establishment is wrong. Yeah, that's exactly the right approach. It's just that, as it happens, that kind of 9-11 fringe group, as it were, that we don't believe it, yeah. is, uh, uh, there's a lot more people now in that. Oh, and no. I understand it, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who just say, why should I believe them? But it's just that, I suppose... I'm, I'm saying that this war is more significant historically than, you know, those things. You know, I, I saw somebody tweet yesterday, oh, you know, while you're all bothering about Putin and Ukraine, you know, think about what's happening seriously with the, the, the vaccines. Yeah. Or it's just a distraction from talking about what happened to the Canadian truckers. And you do think, get a grip, everyone. And so this war is of significance historically. And we've got, do my little advert, we've got a big Academy of Ideas meeting on it tonight, which people should come to. Because I think it's not just a a peripheral war. This is a war at the heart of the Western world. And it's actually over values as well. So I can understand that people want to rise to the challenge. And so the context in which I'm saying it's fine for people to offer their homes is that I think rightly, People want to be mobilised to help. And I, in that sense, I want to encourage them. One of my colleagues, Jacob, uh, is over in Warsaw, as we speak, mm. with his Ukrainian wife. And they've got three children that they've got in from Ukraine. And they have had to go through the worst kind of home office checks. Can you imagine? Hours and hours sitting in Warsaw with people saying things like, this is the officials who work there, can't get a Wi-Fi signal or... Um, we don't know what the code is to get into the website right. or we don't really know what's going on. At one point, Jacob's wife, Anna, had to do the translation in the visa place mm. because nobody spoke any of the languages. Do you think, what is wrong with our civil service that they can't get these basics right? And they closed at five o'clock and they weren't open at weekends as though this was sort of a, you know, a, you know, it's like sort of you like sure it's not being you sure it's not being run by the NHS this uh, yeah, operation. Exactly, I mean, this exactly. is the problem though. But I wonder as well sometimes whether the Home Office are so incompetent that they're actually doing it deliberately to somehow try and mess up the government's plans because everything that the Home Office touches seems to turn to whatever the opposite is of what Midas used to turn it into. Well, I think that we've seen a civil service that has not had the had to confront anything really serious before. You know, it, they're behaving as though in some ways, as though this is a workaday, everyday occurrence, you know, where we've got to do our checks to make sure that you pass muster, rather than a a real emergency. And it's ironic because we've been talked about emergency, emergency, emergency all through COVID. Mm. Well, this really is an emergency on a European scale. And so the UK has got to act like that. But, you know, we've also got an MOD, I mean, uh, Ministry of Defence, who just after we you know, the war was waged by Putin, a mass invasion, something I wasn't anticipating happening. Nobody did. You might have thought it was going to go into the East and do a bit of defensive stuff, but not a full-scale military invasion. What does the MOD come out with? But a sort of statement about its views on vegan uniforms. 
and you've got this sort of thing going on where you think this is this is a civil service that's kind of decadent, yes. degenerate. It's never thought about itself as a fighting force. Right. And one of the reasons, presumably, why we didn't really know seriously what was at stake in terms of Putin's intentions in that region was because they've taken their eye off the ball. They've kind of been going around kind of talking war and, and saber rattling, but never really believing anything was going to happen. And so they're ill prepared. Well, that's the problem. And I mean, I think the whole of the civil service was kind of summed up by the crisis in Afghanistan when we found exactly. out that almost everyone in the foreign office was working from home. And you go, well, hang on a minute. You know, what the hell are you thinking? What the hell are you doing? I wouldn't be at all surprised, Claire. You may know better than me if half of the civil service is still working from home. Well, I mean, certainly not all of them are at work. And of course, there will be lots of civil servants just to, to be balanced that are working their guts out. What I'm saying is the institutional atmosphere around those bodies is not very serious. No. That's my problem. No, exactly right. And as far as the way that the, the war is sort of unfolding, there do genuinely seem to be uh, efforts to uh, have peace talk, which seem to be getting um, closer and closer because I think the Russians are working out that this is a bit harder than they thought it was going to be. Uh, and in fact, taking control of one of the biggest countries by landmass in Europe is not going to be something that's easily achievable. Um, and everybody seems to be saying, um, you know, Putin is now finished. Well, they might be saying it, but it's not finished yet. I mean, that's kind of maybe wishful thinking. I mean, I'd like that to be the case, of course. Um, but I think there's a lot more at play. We don't yet know the role that China is going to entirely play in relation to this war. There's obviously, um, in many ways, the split between East and West has never been resolved. I mean, that's one of the problems. You know, the post-Cold War period, we were told that's it, no need to worry, it's all resolved, the yeah. West has won. But in fact, then what happened was that the West indulged in a certain triumphalism and mm. kind of behaved as though there was never going to be any uh, problems ever again and that everything was resolved and peace in our time and all the rest of it. And so I don't entirely think this is yet over. I mean, not even just that Putin's not defeated, but there's a lot more in terms of the geopolitical tensions that we've seen through this event but i think we've been seeing geopolitical tensions for some time um in relation to a changing world a declining us and so on mm. so i think this is part and parcel of that a very bloody part and parcel and although the ukrainians are fighting incredibly bravely there is something disconcerting about a west that says um we absolutely condemn this but we won't do anything now, don't get me wrong, I don't want NATO to go in or flying. I, I'm frightened of World War Three as well, but there's something of the impotence of declaring to Putin, well, you know, we won't attack because they're not in NATO. It seems so formulaic mm. and it also comes over slightly defeatist. So I don't know what the balance is. I'm not a military strategist mm. and I don't want to inadvertently spark a world war, but something of that it's got nothing to do with us and we can't do anything anyway because it might trigger World War Three makes you sound as though you're incapable of doing anything. Yes. So you've just and I think, and I think that's what happened at the start. And I was like you feeling kind of impotent and feeling that we should be doing more. But actually, as time goes on, it looks as though we did the right thing because there's a lot of arms being given over to the Ukrainians. They're using an awful lot of uh, British-made, British-supplied um, weapons, which seems to be very effective at taking out the tanks that the Russians have got. So I'm beginning to think, actually, that the, the wait and see, let's see how Ukraine deals with it with their own fighting force, was actually the, the right thing to do. 
yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, I don't, I don't want to get into the military strategy. I'm, I'm more talking about the kind of symbolically. No, I know the, what you mean. No, the, I, the paralysis I feel, I feel of that. the West. Yeah, the paralysis of the West is something to be wary of. Mm. You know, the what can we do? Sh- shrug your shoulders. Anyway, I'm glad that they've got the weapons. I'm glad that they're fighting. And you know, there's lots of people who'll say, well, you know, do we really know what these Ukrainians are up to? That's part of that cynical conspiracy stuff. You know, everybody's now watched that film that's got banned and they're kind of like, oh, they're all Nazis, really. All yeah. of these kind of like superficial ways of... Well, everybody's of an instance. It's, sort of, it's like, you know, do DIY sort of, you know, make your yeah. own make your own house with powder, just pour water on it and then suddenly you're an instant expert on everything now. <laughs> exactly, you're an instant expert yeah. on Ukrainian history, instant exactly. expert on, you know, uh, vacuum bombs, instant yeah. expert on, you know, refugee crises management and all the rest of it. But how about this? Let me read you this and then we'll take a little short break. Ginny says, I don't agree with Claire Fox on this. People are battered and bruised and can't just move on to investing in a war. Many feel they are in a fight for their own survival with mounting fear on living costs. British people matter too. I'll come back to that. I also want to talk about misogyny as well, Claire. Stay with us. We'll be back with Claire Fox after this. Talk Radio. 21st century debate. Speak once. Think twice. Talk Radio. Exhalation. Conversation. Confrontation. Fine talking. Common sense. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Peter Hitchens will be here coming up at 11 o'clock. He wrote at the weekend about how he will always have an unerring love for the people of Russia, something that's probably quite important that people say at this moment in time so that we don't fall into that ridiculous category of thinking that, you know, all Ukrainians good, all Russians bad. You know, the world is not like that and never should be judged like that. We're talking also to Baroness Fox this morning uh, from Buckley, right, director of the Academy of Ideas. Claire, um, just a couple of other things to mention to you, because I know uh, you'll be talking about a great many things tonight at your uh, your Academy of Ideas meeting. Lessons on misogyny to be taught in primary schools, according to Sadiq Khan. Um, he's getting a bit hysterical with this stuff, isn't he? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because we've spent um, the last two years closing down schools. We know that there's a crisis of hundreds of thousands of young people who haven't even returned to schools. Mm. Huge amounts of education has been lost. I wouldn't mind, and we've been talking about the Ukraine situation, I wouldn't mind primary schools saying, well, we're going to teach a lot more European history so people know what's going on. I wouldn't mind if they concentrate on getting them to learn to read and write yes and what is he doing introducing lessons on misogyny it's a, an absolute outrage isn't it or it's talk about virtue signaling but th- there's a couple of problems he's got really which is misogyny is hatred of women and mm. you you said in the introduction i mean little primary kids don't understand hatred of women i i, I always think that that misogyny is suddenly emerged on it used to be just good old-fashioned sexism yeah. you know there's a fair amount of sexism but the idea that in society, this institutionalised hatred of women just doesn't bear any scrutiny whatsoever. No. But secondly, in order to hate women, you have to know what women are. And we've discovered <laughs> recently that the Labour Party seem a little uncertain, right? Because they certainly won't define what no. a woman is. How can you say that there's widespread hatred of women at the same time as being in a party that the front, front bench can't say that they will defend the biological entity of women. And the one place that I ever encounter what even is close to misogyny, when I get the really nasty stuff, is when actually I say, woman as a biological adult grown female, Mm. 
that will open up the heavens on me yeah. of a load of people who are trans activists effectively absolutely going for me and telling you know and saying that they know what and in other words they're trying to erase women you know the word woman isn't even allowed in legislation these days so the irony of this absolute nonsense of imposing this on primary school kids is is that in the midst of it all in the midst of it all um they won't have the courage to define women and you're not going to fight misogyny if you can't do that well exactly right i mean presumably this would explain why the labor party haven't managed to find a woman uh, as a leader since they can't define one they can't obviously vote for one (laughs) well exactly but i mean in all seriousness the labor party are losing some of their best female activists Mm. you know the people who are often the backbone of local uh, uh, labor party branches who've been the best organizers are actually walking out because they're just saying this issue of identity politics where you will not defend women and i know there's been this spat with jk rowling Mm. uh, who has actually called out keir stomach and we know that jk rowling has really been at the forefront of uh, taking the abuse but also being very firm and robust and when she calls out the head of the Labour Party and says, for goodness sake, sort this out, yeah. then you know Labour have got a real problem. Yeah. Mike, I don't know if you'll let me, but could I, I wanted to come back on that person who emailed in and yes, said, please. we've got enough Go on. on our plate on Ukraine. Yeah. I just think it's important um, because I think it's also true that there's a danger that um, uh, when I was talking earlier about the refugees and whether people want to have them in their houses, I, I definitely don't want this to happen. I don't want there to be any pressure on people that they need to have people Mm. stay in their houses. It's also the case that people are indeed battered and bruised by what we've been through in terms of lockdown. And I can tell you now that anyone you talk to is frightened to death of the cost of living crisis. Mm. I mean, it's not just the energy crisis. No, it's terrible. So I understand that. But But I also think I just want to give credit to the fact that also people want to help or some people want to help. It shouldn't be compulsory, but this isn't, when the person who, who emailed in was very angry, and I understand that, and, and also just frustrated, saying, God, we've got enough on our plate. We don't need this war. Mm. It's just that none of us need this war, right? No. The Ukrainians don't need this war either. That's the horrible thing when something like this happens, which is the last thing that any of us want is a European war. It's mm. just that there is a European war. And for those people who want to help, I think that they should be encouraged but I don't think the government should put any pressure on anyone in this country to have to help. On the other hand, an act of generosity um, by the country is something which I would be enthusiastic about. Sure. Claire, very good point. Very well made. Thank you very much indeed. Baroness Fox of Buckley there, Director of the Academy of Ideas. There is an event going on. Go and find Claire's um, uh, Twitter account and you'll see where that's all happening and what you can do about it. Coming next, some news headlines. A hollowed out volcano of common sense. Listen on your smart speaker. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Peter Hitchens coming up just after the news at 11 o'clock. Right now, though, we are going to go across to uh, the border of uh, Ukraine and Poland because Rob Rinder, Talk Radio's very own Friday Drive Time host, is out there. Uh, he's uh, going to be reporting in to us from there for the whole week. Uh, he's in a place called Pishimashil, uh, which is about 11 clicks uh, or kilometres from the Polish-Ukraine border. Rob, a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Mike. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm standing here and I have to say to your listeners, 
that it feels strangely surreal. You may be able to see behind me uh, a limited number of people leaving the train station. Many of them have come um, off of trains with dark shades of, I have to say, uh, the Second World War. Mm. Uh, they've come, many of them, babies in, in arms. It's mainly old people, women, and of course children who have left their husbands, their sons, uh, and their brothers back in Ukraine uh, uh, to fight. Uh, there are volunteers, uh, I have to say, young people, Polish people who have given everything they possibly can. But um, the reality of the situation on the ground is that, and I don't mean this with any exaggeration, it is far worse and far more overwhelming than even I expected. Mm. And what are you seeing them carrying with them, Rob? Because often it's difficult to, to imagine what these people have been through for a start. But I mean, are they actually able to, mm -hmm. have they brought anything with them? Are they just, have they fled literally with nothing? We've seen empty babies' buggies. We've seen uh, people with just the clothes on their back. We've seen people with uh, suitcases. Uh, we've seen people, as I say, um, carrying whatever supplies that they can. But in many instances where they've left at the last minute, um, they don't have uh, the various things they need, especially their medical supplies. And of course, uh, they've arrived in a situation uh, where they have no homes uh, to get to uh, or to go to. Now, of course, there are a number of volunteers who are ready, willing and able to help. They're all wearing these fluorescent yellow jackets, many of them young people. Uh, but the difficulty is that fundamental question that if you told me uh, three, four weeks ago, we'd be asking on Europe's borders, two hours from where you're sitting now, I think that you are having a surreal mm. moment uh, as these men, women and children ask, what do they do? And some of them, of course, want to come to the UK. It's not just those who um, have some connection with the UK. The difficulty is, of course, that there's a great deal of red tape. And I was listening to your previous caller, excuse me, Claire Fox, um, great ideas though she has. She is right to say nobody is conscripting anybody to house people in their homes. But there are thousands of people who want to answer the call, many of them talk radio listeners, who want to provide temporary sanctuary to people from Ukraine. And I need to emphasize that everybody you speak to from Ukraine wants to go back to rebuild that country when there is a semblance of peace. They want to um, be reunited with their brothers, with their fathers, with their sons. They're proud of their nation. But the difficulty is um, that Poland can't do everything. And as you see this great big tsunami of people, 1.5 uh, million people, the resources are slowly being depleted here. And not only could we do more, nobody's asking the government to do anything other than cut the red tape to allow people that want to provide help to do precisely that. There's no point giving a virtue signaling promise and um, making clear to the world that the UK is prepared to help unless you are also prepared to follow through with that promise. And what's happening to the people as they arrive there, Rob, in terms of the ones like we can see walking behind you? Um, who decides where they go next? I mean, is there a, a system in place or is it a bit random? Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty well organised, but it's been organised by uh, the Polish police, by uh, the Polish military service and even the Polish fire service. And this army, I have to say, of, of volunteers, you know, I, for all of the darkness that there is here, there is almost sort of overwhelming moments of light and optimism. Um, our fixer here, uh, 
Her name is Oksana. She's a young woman. She speaks uh, four languages. She's volunteering her time. She's hardly had any sleep. She comes to the railway stations. She goes to various parts, various other railway stations as well to assist people. They are triaged uh, into uh, various parts of the railway station. They're um, handed over to perhaps the Red Cross and various organizations that are doing what they can to find homes, uh, to find help and to find food. Um, Ukrainians who have got a passport are allowed to use uh, special trains, special buses to get to various cities. Um, Poland, I have to say, has answered the call and has answered the call with generosity um, and courage and the number of people that are prepared to come out there, as I say, wearing these high-vis jackets, they've left jobs, they've left their lives in order to do that. You know, in all of so much of the dark clouds that there is, that is a moment of real sunshine. Mm, absolutely. And what about your own experience, Rob? What's been the, the, the most kind of impactful thing that you've seen? What's, what's, what's affected you since you've been yeah. there? You know, uh, Mike, um, I'm really moved standing here at this train station. You know, many of your listeners will know and talk radio will know that I've made a lot of documentaries about the Holocaust, about people fleeing Nazi persecution. My grandfather was the grateful recipient when it was too late uh, in 1946, having been a Holocaust survivor. And some, as you know, just before the war in 1938, uh, got out of Germany on the kinder transport. But of course, we also transported our children to safety in the Blitz, where people were willing to open their homes to those um, fleeing the dangers of the Blitz. And my grandparents were recipients of that generosity. And as I stand here in this train station in 2022, it is truly hard to believe, it's truly hard to convey that this is the modern age, mm. this is a modern war, and that this is the echo, that dark clouds that's returned back to our Europe. And Polish um, people in, in, in that part of Poland, in all parts of Poland, have been remarkable. Um, the worrying thing as well, Rob, and I don't know whether you've seen the front pages here this morning, war reaches NATO border is the front page headline on the Times yeah. because only 15 kilometres from the border uh, was shelling yesterday. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think that Putin is, is kind of pushing his luck because he's heard from Joe Biden that there won't be a problem unless NATO countries are actually attacked. So he's going literally as close as he can uh, without actually going into it. But there must be some trepidation as well about the shelling. Well, it's interesting you say that. As you speak to local Polish people, they are um, not nonplussed, but they seem at the moment fairly unanxious by that. You know, 15 kilometres feels like a short period of time, but from the distance to the border, it feels like miles away mm. from here. Um, at the moment, um, the uh, level of threat uh, in terms of Polish cities around the border is fairly low. They're getting on with the business of doing whatever they can to rescue as many people as they can and to give them sanctuary. And, you know, it, it is worth re-emphasizing the people who are coming here uh, because of the Ukrainian law, which prevents men over the age of 60 leaving the country. Um, it is chiefly women uh, and children. But in direct answer to your question, there doesn't appear at the moment to be uh, the sort of wave of political concern that I certainly yesterday, like you, uh, was worried was going to be elevated at the mm. moment. It feels very much like uh, the war is beyond the border and right now Poland is concerned about sanctuary. And as you can probably hear in the background, another train is coming in 
uh, rescuing and delivering people who are cheap to jowl in train wagons coming from Ukraine. Um, it, it, it is honestly. Uh hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, a scene of mass humanity that's hard to describe. Uh, and the only muscle memory that we have are textbooks, are frankly films of the Second World War. Mm. Yeah, it's an extraordinary thing. Rob, listen, we really appreciate you uh, finding the time to talk to us. Um, I wish you luck. We'll be hearing from you, I'm sure, throughout the rest of the day uh, here at Talk Radio. Rob Rinder reporting in from Pishima Shil, 11 kilometres from the Poland-Ukraine border, telling us about the mass of humanity that he's witnessing coming off of trains, being dispersed throughout Poland, other parts of Europe as well. Um, the government here saying that they want people to be in a position to offer their homes up for refugees. It's hard when you listen to Rob Rinder talking there uh, not to feel absolute sorrow um, and pity for many of these refugees. However, the government pays for an awful lot of people to come here illegally. The government should be looking after those who want to come here legally. They should not be asking us to do that. If people want to give their homes up, that's fine. But most people can't. Most people can't afford to. Most people shouldn't be put in that position. We want to hear from you, of course. 0344 499 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Independent Talk. Proper Talk. News Talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. At the start of yet another tumultuous week in the continent of Europe, still stalked by the spectre of an ever-threatening war on our very doorstep. The front page of the Times this morning, war reaches NATO's border, just 15 kilometres away from the border with Poland. Uh, shells were falling yesterday, explosions were heard, uh, the fighting was getting nearer and nearer uh, to that border. Uh, whether or not Vladimir Putin is doing it as a sort of exercise, whether he's doing it uh, as a kind of thumbing his nose at NATO, at the uh, uh, the Western European countries, at the European Union. Difficult to say. Uh, what we do know is that there are some voices now calling for a peaceful resolution to all of this. There are still more meetings going on today between Ukrainian representatives and Vladimir Putin's people. But there's still no end in sight, though, uh, for the people who are streaming out of the country uh, on their way to who knows where. Many of them coming to the UK, many of them coming to France, to Germany, to Austria, to Poland. Uh, lots of people, millions of them, in fact. Uh, leaving Ukraine for the moment because it's far too dangerous to stay. Coming up in this hour, Peter Hitchens is here from the Mail on Sunday. Uh, he wrote at the weekend that his time in Russia, uh, albeit relatively short when you think about the number of years that uh, we've all been alive, uh, had a profound effect on him and how he will always have a special place in his heart for Russia's people. 
it's an interesting conversation that's being had because, of course, as ever, uh, it's all become very polarised. There are people like David in Malaysia uh, who think that NATO precipitated this war, that it was somehow the Western European uh, government's fault that they didn't look after Vladimir Putin when they should have. Peter Hitchens sometimes has that view uh, and sometimes makes that very clear. But let's see what he has to say for himself this week. Uh, we'll be checking in, of course, later on uh, as well in the show uh, with Rob Clark. He's also out there at the moment between Poland and Ukraine, uh, helping with the relief efforts. And, of course, we'll also be talking uh, later on in the show to Angela Levitt, because the royal family are back in the news once more. Uh, the Queen's health might be in question. And Harry and Meghan, what are they up to? 0344 you listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. How are you, Peter? Morning. Um, this uh, weekend, you had more uh, ordure poured on you for uh, saying nice things about the Russians. Uh, we still seem to be in a state of uh, kind of ridiculous polarisation in this country where, you know, all things Russian bad, all things Ukrainian good. Well, it's just faintly ridiculous. Of course, neither neither country is is, is uh, perfect, and neither country is entirely composed of, of villains. Life is never like that, no. and to, to base any kind of political action on a belief that, that it is like that is almost invariably to make a grave mistake. It's mm. it's it, the danger of it all is that you get into a, a war hysteria, uh, which pushes politicians into doing extremely foolish things. And there's still this this pressure being being urged. Often by uh, Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian ministers and officials themselves, that there should be a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which I think would probably be one of the biggest disasters of modern times if it, if it happens. But it's emotionally appealing, uh, even if it's rationally idiotic. So uh, this, this this characterization of Ukraine as a paradise filled with saints and Russia as, as the, the as hell itself, populated entirely by by screaming demons, it makes this sort of argument uh, e easier uh, to pursue. Mm. We should rush into actions which we might then regret. Wars are incredibly easy to start and incredibly easy to get into and, and fantastically hard to get out of. And people should always bear that in mind before calling for these things. Yes, I think so. And what do you make of this kind of outpouring? I mean, you expect it at the BAFTA Awards from Benedict Cumberbatch and his ilk, but all this kind of, you know, let's house a Ukrainian refugee kind of business, which it seems to me, and maybe I'm alone in this, but it, I'm finding it sort of faintly um, just troubling, you know, because it's all about people saying what they want to do rather than actually doing something, which inevitably could be quite complicated. Well, sure, but if anybody does take a Ukrainian family in, then God bless them. It's it's a great thing to do. And if uh, I, I'm not going to attack anybody for doing that, I think that that people need places to go, and if people are able to provide them for them, then that's fantastic. So I, I won't criticise that. I think there's a certain there's a lack of a, a profound understanding of the issue involved, mm. but that's always the case, isn't it? I, six months ago, I think most people now are putting. Ukraine flags in their in their front gardens or wearing Ukraine badges couldn't have found it on a blank map. Uh, and to this day, they probably would mm. be pretty vague about it or what goes on there or how it's governed or anything like that. But that's the way of it. I can't, anybody who sees a country being attacked uh, by a bigger neighbor is naturally going to take the side of the of, of the attacked small guy. And mm. that's not, it's not unreasonable. Uh, it says it's just not a very good basis for making serious long-term mm. policy. 
No, I mean, my, my, my argument is not with those who are going to take a refugee into their home. It's my argument is with all the people who say that they're going to, but who probably inevitably won't, particularly those on the side of sort of celebrity who, who stand up and, and wear blue and yellow colours every time they step out into the public eye. And even when I, and I mean, maybe I'm just weird, you know, but I walked past the festival hall the other night and it was all done up in blue and yellow colours. And, you know, you kind of think enough already, you know, and we, we understand that it's a terrible thing. We understand that the, the, the Russians are doing a bad thing. Do we really have to be bombarded constantly with the Ukrainian flag everywhere we go? Well, probably we do. Um, and I suppose <laughs> we have to. We, the person we have to blame for that is, is uh, Mr. Vladimir Putin, yeah. who's, who has indeed turned Ukraine into in, into a martyr state. And there, there we are. I think. That do you think he thought point, about that? Well, as I say, I think he, he took leave of his senses when he when he launched this invasion, which was both stupid and wrong, and and, and not just a crime, but a mistake. Mm. I, I think that the moment those people who are trying to advise him and get close to him at the summit of Russian politics are almost certainly uh, begging him to, to to find some way of climbing down from what they can clearly see as a catastrophe for for Russia and the Russian people and for the world. But whether they'll be able to do so, we have yet to see. There are faintly encouraging signs that some sort of serious negotiation is beginning to take place between Ukraine and Russia. And I think that's the absolutely essential first step towards bringing about peace so that, so that, so that innocent people aren't being carved to bits by flying hunks of metal and, 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 and burning chunks of explosive, which is what's going on at the moment. Mm. And which, which, to my mind, we have to stop as soon as possible to... Everybody has to swallow pride and swallow passion in that cause, because any any of us who've seen a, a human head that a bullet has passed through, it doesn't want to ever see it again or imagine that it's going on. Or, or, or they're, they're terrible. I, I accidentally saw yesterday an appalling photograph of, of the injuries to one Ukrainian civilian. The thing just makes you blench. Mm. The idea that this is happening hundreds of times a day is, is, is almost unbearable. Mm. It has to stop. So therefore, the, those those things which will aid it, help it to stop, are things which any civilized person must support. And, and, and there will have to be some pride swallowing on both sides to enable that to happen. Well, too bad. Yes, indeed. And as far as your description of Russia um, in your piece yesterday, you talked about how it's not as strong as people perhaps thought that it would be. No. Is this the kind of final... I mean, I don't want to say death rattle, but is it the sort of the final ending, if you like, of the pre-Soviet era? You know, the fact that Vladimir Putin came along um, post Gorbachev, post sort of Glasnost and was supposedly going to be different, but then kind of went back to his old ways and became back to the kind of KGB colonel that he always was. But kind of now is not working very well. Well, that's not why it's a long and difficult story. I, I'm currently reading Angus Roxburgh's superb biography of Putin, which I think everybody should read who wants a good, uh, a good and balanced account of the man, and of the extraordinary uh, deterioration of him and of his politics, and of, of course of Russia at his hands, since he initially took over as somebody who people place some hopes. I don't think it's much to do with the KGB. Uh, I think it has, to some extent, it has, it has to do with the fact that, that Russia has not, since the great election of 1917, which Lenin cancelled with bayonets, has not really had much experience of freedom or the rule of law. And it also has a lot to do with the fact that Russia has always felt, with some reason, so threatened. Mm. Uh, but the, and, and in my view, the recent developments are partly the fruit of very foolish Western policies of, 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 of cornering 
uh, cornering Russia and, and, and building an anti-Russian alliance on Russian borders, which was never going to end well. But I, I think that the, it, it, it has now reached a stage where the very existence of Russia itself as a major country is threatened. This is a country where more people die each year than are born. Uh, it's it, it, it's in many ways desperate. You get out of the glitter of Moscow into the smaller provincial cities, and many of them are still devastated by three quarters of a century of, of communism. Mm. And there is no proper industry. The level of corruption. This is also true of Ukraine, by the way. The level of corruption is astonishing and appalling, and makes almost everything impossible. I had a question asked, quite rightly: Why is it now after? China was communist for many years, yet you can't move around the world for, for, for products made in China, which mm. we all happily buy. Have you ever anywhere seen a product made in Russia? No. Or no. Be tempted to buy one, apart perhaps from a bottle of vodka. There really isn't anything that they make. No. Apart from weapons, they just, they just extract stuff from the ground and sell it. Uh, and it has, has never developed since the collapse of communism into a civilized, properly yeah. functioning economy. And this is... I think the whole existence of the country is now under threat. It's it, there's, there's no countries do come to an end. Now, Lithuania was once a great power, so is Sweden, mm. uh, and they shrink or they entirely disappear. And I think this fate is perfectly possible for Russia if it carries on behaving yeah. in this fashion. Yeah, I mean, I heard a, an American commentator last week describing uh, Russia as a gas station with nuclear weapons, which is not entirely wrong. Um, also, I was told, and I don't know if you can confirm this, that an awful lot and uh, the vast majority of the Russian population don't actually live in cities. And so they're mostly in rural settings where money is very, very in short, very much in short supply. And much of it is in cash. And so actually the idea that these, you know, sort of MasterCard visa type um, sanctions are, are ruining and crippling the country might not be the case. Well, I don't know. I, I have to say, I have to see the statistics to back that up. It might be, I, 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 I'd never have thought that. My experience of Russia being mostly urban, when you went to the countryside, you often find almost semi-deserted villages mm. with, with several drunk people slowly dying in them. Right. Uh, it, it, it never struck me as a predominantly rural country, but I, I'm always willing to listen to, to, to statistics. But uh, what is certainly the case is that Russians survived, have often survived through very bad periods, because most of them have small, have always had small country, uh, they're really shacks rather than cottages and patches of land on which they've grown enough to eat. And this has been very important actually in the past 30 years to many people who have lost jobs uh, and have uh, lost pensions and have had had to live pretty much on their own uh, their own subsistence. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't, I, I'd have to I'd have to stand back and say I'd, I need to look that up before agreeing yes. on just things. Yes, like no, this. I'm. I'm. Wrong I, to me. I haven't. I haven't checked it out. It was just a conversation I was having um, at the weekend. So, I mean, from what you're seeing at the moment, um, and in the terms that we always speak once a week, um, are we uh, closer? Do you think to some kind of resolution to this this week than we were last week? Well, I just. I think we know it's we're closer to it because it will end. Yeah, uh, it has to end for everybody's sake. Uh, it's just a question of how, of how long people will maintain their, their pride and their stupidity on, 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 on one side and their, what you might call, a courageous determination on the other. Uh, but the fact is that there has to come a moment where the fighting has to stop and we're, we're getting closer to it. But how much closer? I don't know. It's, mm. it's a, it, it, any, it's, there could be an incident of a terrible kind at any point in the next couple of days which would derail any negotiations, it's incredibly hard to end wars once they've started. There's 
one of the five million reasons why people should never start them in the first place. Yes, exactly right. And in terms of the way that um, that you're you're seeing the West kind of dealing with it all, um, do you see that continuing as it is in terms of the, I don't the know. policy? I'm not sure quite what the, what the Western countries think they're up to. Obviously, we will find out afterwards when all the books are written just how many weapons Western countries have been sending into Ukraine and how much they've been trading Ukrainian armed forces, uh, which uh, which has obviously had a huge impact on the way the war has turned out and has shown, and this is the point I, I made yesterday in my mail on, on Sunday column, has shown that Russia is not actually that strong, uh, that its army is not that good, that we have believed for a long time in a bogeyman, which turns out not to be, uh, not to be justified. I'm, I'm not saying they're not capable of destroying but they don't seem to me to be capable of taking ground, let alone a country, on, a, on the sort of scale which would, which would make them a serious military power. I think that one of, the, one of the things which Putin has achieved has shown that his country is, is, a, is, is a second-rate military power with a not very good army, which has not been capable of fulfilling its, its objectives, uh, which is an interesting lesson for everybody, not just for Russia mm. and for Putin and his, his muscle flexing, but also for all those who have claimed for so long that Russia is so great a threat to all its neighbours. Well, is it really, if, it, if, if this is the best it can do? I, I think perhaps not. Well, I suppose people in, uh, in uh, Ukraine might disagree with you, and they'd probably say, actually, it's pretty awful. Well, it's been, I'm not saying it's not awful. I'm saying but you, if, if, if all you can do is, is burst illegally into your neighbour's country and destroy, uh, but you can't actually take and hold ground, mm. and you, you can't control the... the, the the land into which you have into which you have burst, then that's that isn't really uh, a, a power which is big enough to be uh, to, to be a menace to all its neighbours. Having failed on this occasion, uh, which I think I think it's fair to say it looks as if Russia has done. Having failed on this occasion, uh, how much of a threat is it to anybody else in future? And I just I think that the the idea that it was. A, was or is a, a major first-rate uh, conventional military power seems to me to have been gravely damaged by mm. these events. Yes, no, I think so. And, and, and certainly its military will be quite substantially reduced after it all as well because they'll have lost so many tanks and, and so much weaponry into the bargain. Let's talk about something else you wrote about the weekend. The cannabis debate rages on. Um, there's another Home Affairs Select Committee inquiry being set up uh, into marijuana, which, as you say, will no doubt result in probably the decriminalisation further of, uh, of its use. Well, it's interesting. You, you go through This is the third time, I think, in 20 years that the Home Affairs Committee has held one of these inquiries. And it's, it's, it's wonderful the way they always come up with the same answer. I did actually give evidence to the last one. Uh, and I might as well, frankly, have, have jumped up and down on the on, on, on the on the table in front of them, pulling my trousers up and down for all the good it did. They paid absolutely no attention to anything that I said and just came out with the usual uh, usual decriminalisation boilerplate uh, that what we need to do about drugs is to soften the the, the, the the whatever campaign against people using them we've had up till now. I confidently expect. That the that this this select committee will behave in the same way because that's that's the way uh, thinking fashion goes. It is extraordinary, and I don't know what, what twenty years of trying to campaign on this and pointing pointing out actually marijuana is not a soft drug. Uh, the people who take it often become mentally ill, and some of those who become mentally ill also become violent. 
uh, that legalizing it does not get rid of gangs. On the contrary, uh, they continue to exist and, and have done in Canada and Colorado after legalization. Uh, that all all cases made for it, a feeble, a tiny, tiny part of that has sunk into the public consciousness. Occasionally, I notice other people in the media seeing these things. Uh, but in general, the, the view particularly of, uh, of, of the major media and the leader writers and members of parliament, and I suspect civil servants, is the same, that, uh, that there has been a war on drugs, which failed when there has been no war on drugs, so it couldn't have failed. Uh, and that therefore we should get rid of uh, practically all the remaining restrictions. And I, 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 there may be a miracle. Maybe this uh, Home Affairs Select Committee will finally look at the evidence from places like South Korea and Japan, where enforcing laws against drug possession have resulted in, in lowered use. And maybe they'll pay some attention to that fact, uh, in, in which case I shall be rejoicing. Uh, but as it is, I, I, it seems to me that fashion is going the other way. And there's been an extraordinarily successful public relations campaign uh, for drug legalization, particularly for marijuana over the past yeah. one, 50 years. And it's still working. Well, there's an awful lot of people and many of them are in government in the US now, local government, if not national government, making a great deal of money from taxing it, aren't they? Well, that is, of course, one of the attractions of its politicians of all parties. Yeah. Here is another, the, the, the thing which politicians love are the things called sin taxes. If you, you tax something which people really like doing, they don't stop doing it unless you tax it really heavily. They, they just they carry, on doing, carry on paying the taxes. This is one of the reasons why it took so long uh, to take serious action against, against cigarettes. Yeah. Because governments were making so much tax revenue out of tobacco, that they were reluctant, I think, to destroy it. No one ever said that, but it seemed to me, if you look at the, the, the gap between the discovery that cigarettes killed you and governments doing anything serious to stop people smoking, then what other explanation is there? Yeah. Uh, but it, the, the, here is another syntax going, and governments frantically need money at the moment. They, they, they've run out of ways of squeezing it out of us, and, 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 here, is, and here is one. So there is a, a certain cynicism going on here. The problem with that, of course, is it's, it, it is exactly what undermines the the claim that legalizing drugs will, will remove criminal gangs from the drug business. If you tax a legalized drug then and, and regulate it, then those who can sell you the drug without you having to pay the tax and also who can ignore the regulations will very definitely stay in business, as mm. they have done in, in Colorado and, and uh, in Canada and, and many other places where this thing has been attempted. Well, it's the other, just so much rubbish is talked about this. It's almost beyond belief. I mean, the other problem they've, they've got in certainly southwestern states of America is that many of the marijuana growers who don't any longer grow it because it's not worth doing in sort of Central America are manufacturing um, this stuff, which is sort of um, synthetic heroin, which is a far more dangerous drug, far easier to transport and far more profitable now for them because they, they, there's no point in them growing marijuana anymore. Well, I challenge the far more dangerous because personally, I think that, that lifelong incurable mental illness is a, is a horrendous and huge danger. And the, the dangers of marijuana should never, ever be underestimated. And I say it's not, this it doesn't happen to everyone who smokes marijuana, but the number of cases, and I again recommend people to go to this website, Attack of Smoke Cannabis, uh, where, where, where the, the author studies and goes through local newspaper reports of, uh, of crimes in which the, the, the perpetrator was a long-term marijuana user. It's horrifying how many crimes are being committed by users of this allegedly peaceful drug. And it, it bursts into families, as it, it did in the case I reported on the weekend. It's a, a, a young man, well, not that young, actually, 
who, uh, who's now admitted the manslaughter of his mother. Mm. And, and she said that the, the day before when he attacked her and the police were called and he was carted off, she said it was, it, it, it was marijuana that was causing this. But nobody pays any attention. The following day, she was, she was stabbed to death. Mm. Uh, but, but, and, 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 but nothing, no one ever draws any conclusions from this. And you, I, I often look into these crimes where it's not stated that marijuana is involved. And the police won't even discuss it because they're so embarrassed about the fact that they've given up actually, actually enforcing the law against marijuana possession. And it, it, it may, some of them may be beginning to realise that this is a grave mistake. Absolutely right. Peter, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday columnist there talking uh, about the dangers of marijuana and the possible uh, real dangers of legalisation uh, of that particular drug. We've talked about that before. We will talk about it again, of course. Also, uh, with his view on what's going on uh, in Ukraine this week, Rob Rinder is out there uh, for us. You'll be hearing reports from him all the way through the day today and all the way through the week, of course, as well. This is Talk Radio. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, of course, available on television as well. Talk Radio TV is what you need from the App Store or talkradio.tv, where you can find us then on Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube. Now we're on Amazon Fire TV as well. We're going to go back uh, to the Polish-Ukraine border very shortly with Rob Clark, uh, who's a defence fellow at Civitas. He's out there helping with the relief effort. Uh, Rob says this, Mike, um, standard universal credit is just under £325 a month. I know this because I claimed it after my care duties ended late last year 350 quid doesn't seem like much for housing refugees considering the extra responsibilities that come with it and this from pete in uh, radcliffe says this mike when you took out your building and contents insurance you were asked how many people lived there their ages and if they had a criminal record it therefore follows that you should advise your insurance company if you take in refugees what is the betting that your premium will rock it well and this is another thing that nobody's really given any thought to very clearly, this is much more complicated, far more complicated than you would imagine. Let's go now live, though, to the Poland-Ukraine border. Rob Clark's out there distributing aid uh, to the people who are very needy in that part of the world. Rob, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, when did you get out there and, and, and what's it like? Uh, we got out here yesterday. Uh, we're on the road from about Saturday. Um, so it's quite a quick drive, just by uh, just by van, just by road. Uh, we've got two vans uh, with two tons of uh, mainly dry food, um, medicine, nappies, obviously for for children and kids. Um, and we're we've already finished off uh, dropping that off, making some connections and networks with the people on the border for repeat runs. Yeah. Um, so we're on our way back now through uh, through Poland, uh, back to the UK, and then. Um, more people will be coming out. Um, this whole thing's been, uh, basically, it's the, uh, a huge effort by the people in um, in Colville, in Leicestershire, right. uh, who have come together and donated around nine tonnes uh, of, like I say, mainly uh, nappies, medicine, and, and, and dried food. Mm. Uh, so more more supplies are coming back out in the, over the next few days. And we've spoken to people out there before, uh, Rob, who've said, you know, if you are going to come out, make sure you know where you're going, what you're doing with the stuff you bring in and exactly where it's actually needed. How difficult was that for you to figure out? Um, it wasn't too bad for us, actually, Mike. We had a, we had a, a local contact, um, a Ukrainian charity that we tied in with, we liaised with before we left. So we met them at the border uh, and it was actually relatively swift 
handoff of, uh, of, of, of the vans. Uh, but no, absolutely, making sure uh, you tie in with the organisations in, in Poland or Ukraine to uh, hand off the goods. Uh, it just makes it a lot more, um, a lot more easier. As you can imagine, the borders here are quite chaotic. Um, there's a lot of people obviously coming west, um, not many people going east. Um, so uh, yeah, the more the more sort of prep and admin you can do before you come and tying in with with people on the ground, uh, the better when you get here. Mm. And so, are you doing this like on behalf of a, of a charity you can name, or is it, is it simply something that the com- community in Leicestershire has put together? Uh, no, absolutely. It's uh, the, the, the community in, uh, in Leicestershire and Colville uh, supplied all, um, uh, like I say, of the of the food and the the, the actual the, the the actual goods themselves. Um, but it's been uh, sponsored and financed by the Royal British Legion, right. um, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, this wouldn't be possible without them. Um, and then uh, another local charity as well, the Marlon Reed Centre in Colville, which have actually organised it. Um, I'm out here with a, uh, a local councillor. Uh, I believe he's the northwest. Uh, Colville North, sorry, councillor uh, Craig Smith, um, conservative councillor. So he's with me. There's, there's four of us. I've got an old army friend, Harry, um, and, uh, and a fourth chap called Paul. Mm. So the four of us have just come out in the two vans. We're the first, uh, like, advance party, if you like. And then we'll go back and um, sort of, like, facilitate the, the other journeys coming over. And and what's, what's the scene like where you are, Rob? Uh, are there a lot of people there currently, or are they still moving? What's going on? Yeah, so I mean, the sides of the road, there's a lot of people. I've just been chatting with some Ukrainians uh, here just on the side of the road. Um, we're not far from the border. Um, just for my own personal security, I can't really reveal where I am. Um, but in terms of the, the, the people themselves, um, the, the confusion and the chaos is particularly paramount amongst uh, the Polish people, who obviously in the last few days we've seen uh, the, the Russian sort of um, attacks against particularly Ukrainian airfields in the west of the country creeping ever so um, uh, ever so close towards the Polish border. So understandably, a lot of Polish people are uh, quite stressed uh, and, um, you know, worried if, mm. if this obviously creeps into Poland and obviously how that could then escalate with, um, obviously there's an American military here, there's British military, there's Poland's obviously part of NATO. So I think people now are starting to worry uh, where this may lead. Personally, I don't see Poland being involved, but, you know, I don't, I, I don't live here. I'm sure if I lived here, I'd share their worries and the worries are very real. Yes, indeed they are. And you've been in war zones, obviously, yourself as a, as a serving uh, soldier, Rob. Um, what, is it, what is it looking like in terms of what you've seen before in places like Afghanistan? I mean, it's a completely different kettle of fish, Mike. I've been talking about this um, with sort of, you know, um, friends who have been in the military and like me have done tours of Iraq and Afghanistan and seen combat in the last sort of 10 years. What's happening now in Ukraine is completely different. Um, it is peer on peer. Um, total warfare, the likes the you know Western armies haven't seen since World War Two, um, so it's all well and good. Um, you know, it's almost counterinsurgency against, for example, the Taliban or the Jaisal militia in, in Basra. It's totally different to uh, Russian tactical battalion groups attack helicopters. Uh, you know, the air is contested. They've got naval assets. It's a completely different kettle of fish. I've spoken to a few British people who were in Ukraine, uh, the volunteers, um, and uh, it's an incredibly uh, it's an incredibly chaotic situation on the ground, unfortunately. Mm. I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, listen, good luck with it, Rob, and it's a great thing you're doing. Thank you very much indeed. Rob Clark, Defence Fellow at Civitas, they're out behind the Poland-Ukraine border delivering um, 
part of what is nine million quid's worth, I think he said, uh, of, uh, of stuff which is going to go to uh, the needy, the families, the children, um, medicines, nappies, foodstuffs, which are uh, non-sort of breakdownable, um, dry foodstuffs, effectively. Um, I, if you are willing and interested in doing anything like that, you know, please do check our website, check um, with your local charities, check with uh, various other community organisations before you head out to do any good, if that's what you want to do, uh, just to make sure that you're not doing it in vain or doing it in the wrong way or doing it in, in fact, the wrong place. 0344 499 1000. Ian Collins here from 1 o'clock. Jeremy Carl back at 4, of course. Lots more to do. We'll take some more calls coming next. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.